The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Here you go. Here you go. Rocky Mountain High, Colorado. Nothing personal, word of the day, Rocky Mountain High. It is Wednesday. It is Tuesday, June 13, 2023, and the NBA season has come to an end. I'm always sad when seasons come to an end, but I do have a routine that keeps me up quite a bit later, and I always have to be home in front of a TV whenever there's a clinching scenario in any of the leagues. I sit there and I admit this, I'm solo, and I'm playing with my World Series ring, wearing it during the final clinching, potential clinching game, because whenever I see a celebration, it just makes me think of 2003 and how much fun it is and knowing what is going on in the heads of the front office, of the players, the celebration that's coming, the excitement, the feeling, the relief. I had never seen a player like Nikola Jokic and his reaction to winning. His post-game interview after the Nuggets clinched, beating the Heat in five games, was like the Terminator from the Arnold documentary. That's all that was in my head. He said, I am happy, I am happy, our work is done, I can go home. It was Jamal Murray's crying and grabbing the trophy. People are dancing, putting their hats on forwards and backwards. Jokic is just saying, when am I flying home to Serbia? So during the course of the game, the NBA certainly was not excited to have a series end in five. We've spoken about that. They wanted to go longer. The referees are very aware that that game is really important for the Heat to win. Do I think it was called unfairly? Do I think Jokic could have been called for more fouls? Yes, I do. They're not gonna be that obvious. I also know the Jimmy Butler three-point shot foul by Aaron Gordon was not a foul on Gordon. It was a foul on Jimmy Butler. I also know the NBA can't control how Denver shoots. Denver could not hit the side of a barn for most of the game, could not hit any three-point shots, and the Heat were winning, they were winning, and then the Nuggets started hitting shots. And before you know it, it's over. So tough when you are on the other side and you know that you should be up 20 and you're only up four. And you look at the stat sheet and you say, there's going to be a regression. Meaning at some point they're going to hit shots and we're not going to have answers. 
That's all that happened in this game. The better team won. We said that it would be Nuggets in five. It was Nuggets in five. We said that Jokic would be the MVP. Those were two way to sees, and it was Jokic is the MVP. I loved Mike Malone winning the title, the coach. I loved him saying, we're ready to win more. We're not satisfied at one. I was in awe of Stan Kroenke, the owner, notwithstanding his awkwardness in the post-game interview. We got to do, I was just reminded of this by someone last night I was speaking to who I'd celebrated with the World Series, talking about that we had to do our World Series trophy presentation in a small clubhouse in old Yankee Stadium, not on the field like they do now. Even when the road team wins, the trophy presentations, everything's on the field. I think that's true. When visiting team wins, I don't know if they do it in the clubhouse. I think they still put the stage out even when it's on the road. But we were in a small cramped area. No one could celebrate because the TV people were saying, be quiet, be quiet. Bud Selig hands the trophy over begrudgingly right over to Jeffrey, the owner, and then to me. And I'm watching Stan Kroenke, who has gotten the Stanley Cup, he's gotten the Vince Lombardi trophy, and now he's got the Larry O'Brien trophy. It's just remarkable. And he was calm. And they did what you do when you win a title. There's several PR things that you are prepped for as an owner or a coach or a GM, if the GM gets the mic, prior to winning a championship. You are told you must thank the fans. And the fans are the greatest fans in the world. That's how it works. No matter where you are, no matter what sport, your fans are the greatest fans. Without their support, we're here for you. This is for you. Not in large part because of you. This is because of you. So that is very simple PR. Owners have gotten really good about that. Coaches have gotten good about it. But back when they're really talking about it, I'm sorry, this is a disclosure that I'm making. Just happens to be true. Fans are not brought up. It's not a thing. It's gotta be reminded. You have to remind owners and coaches to say it because it really is not the first thing in their mind. They're thinking about the number of rings they've won, the legacy, what it means to be a champion, how cool it'll be to go to an owner's meeting and be the one with the ring, what it is to be a player as you build toward being the greatest. You can't be among the greatest players in the history of basketball without winning rings. Jokic has his first ring. He can't be in the conversation. He's got to win another and another and another. That's what you got to do. That's what they're thinking about. But I like it. You think the fans. I'm not sure why they don't thank the sponsors. The sponsors pay more money than the fans do in terms of overall payment toward the team. I would think that would be part of the thank you speech, but it never is. Hey, I just want to thank. And then it's sort of when you win an Oscar and you thank the producer, the director, the studio executives who greenlit the film. You thank the fantastic crew, the best crew I ever had. I always wondered if people are upset when they were on the crew of a previous Oscar winning movie with a, a star. The star wins again and the star says, this experience was the best I ever had. This cast and crew, we were together like white on rice. We were just a unit. We connected. That's what you do in sports when you win. That's what the players always say. There was so much love on the podium, the Nuggets saying, we love each other. We're gonna be in touch forever. That's what the Joker said. We're just a tight knit group. 
It's what everybody says when they win. How many of them are going to go visit him in Serbia this offseason? Zero. Come on. I'm not saying they're not buddies. I'm just saying that they're work buddies. Do you ever have work buddies who you think are your friends and then all of a sudden you're done working and you realize, wow, they weren't my friends actually. I never speak to them. But when I see them, we hug, we reminisce, we're thankful. That's funny. Miami Heat, people are expecting me. I got a, uh, a text from someone expecting me today to go off on the heat, losers. I wanna spend two minutes on the heat if you don't mind. Miami Heat outperformed. They absolutely outperformed their skill level. They made it to the NBA Finals with a team that had no right getting out of the first round. Maybe no right getting into the first round. Playoff Jimmy did not act like Playoff Jimmy after he hurt his ankle. Regardless of what Mark Jackson is saying, Jimmy Butler had to have been way more hurt than anyone else who tweaked an ankle. There is no other explanation for why he was unable to jump and get lift for his shots. He had a 13-point fourth quarter, which was outstanding, but then you're saying, why couldn't he do that all game? The answer is he had to have been hurting physically. Everybody's hurting physically at the end of the year, but he must have been hurting even more. Jeff Van Gundy telling us during the game, the Heat are relying too much on their role players. He neglected to say, thank God, no Reggie Miller saying, he is relying too much on the undrafted players. Thank God Van Gundy didn't say that. But that's a championship team. It's not that you're relying on your players, it's that your role players, whether it's Porter Jr. or Gordon, Gordon had a great game four, Porter Jr. had a great game five. That's what role players do, is they complement your players and they can carry you once in a while during stretches, maybe even to a win. But the Heat simply were all playoffs. When they made shots, they win. When they missed shots, they lost. The make or miss league that we discussed, the Heat went nine for 35 from three. You're just not gonna win, period. So Jokic got himself going and he made history last night. I wanna put it in perspective for you Every year, two teams go to the finals. How's that for value added in a morning nothing personal episode? Every year, a player has a chance who goes to the finals to lead all players in that year's playoffs in points, rebounds, and assists. The leader is generally gonna be the one who plays the most games. The Nuggets only played 20 playoff games. The most you can play, as you could probably do the math, would be 28 a seven round series in the first round, second round finals of conference finals, and then NBA finals. 28 possible games. You can go 16 and 12 and win a championship. I'm not sure it's ever happened, but you could. Jokic played 20 games and he led all NBA playoff players in points, rebounds, and assists. The number of times that's been done previously, zero. Never. What an unbelievable player you're watching. For everyone who criticizes Jokic, and if it happens today on the Lebetard show, it will make me sad. But for everyone who criticizes Jokic, if you don't enjoy watching him play and his basketball acumen, his ability to find the open man, not because he's seven feet tall, because he has great eyes 
great anticipation and his players are moving and he knows where they're moving because it's a team that's played together. Bring in complimentary pieces, but that core, they're together and they're winners. You are witnessing, albeit with only his first ring, someone who has the chance to be in the LeBron, Jordan, Kobe discussion. Jokic has a chance to be the greatest center of all time. He's got to deal with Shaq and Russell and Chamberlain and Jabbar. Jokic is the type of player who could win four out of the next seven titles. Unbelievable to watch. So the NBA does the trophy presentation, the speeches, Major League Baseball is super excited at the possibility that the Stanley Cup will end tonight, and then the focus will be solely on baseball. There is one Stanley Cup game left. The NBA is trying to figure out what's our next day? How do we win the offseason? They're hoping for movement in free agency, and they're hoping that on June 22nd, everybody will tune in to watch the least surprising, least anticipated draft since LeBron James went number one. And that is when Victor Wembayama becomes a San Antonio Spur and the Spurs return to relevance. That happens June 22nd. That's the next day on the NBA calendar. And until then, you will have front offices all over, everybody, including the Nuggets, but mostly the teams who lost. Because now the Heat are just the same as the other 29 teams. I forgot again, is the NBA 20, uh, 30 or 32? In any case, you have all the front offices who are working on next season, all wanting to be where Denver is, all trying to catch Denver. And it starts this morning. People are in the office right now, figuring out what are we gonna do? It's gonna be interesting to watch. All right, that's it for the NBA. We'll touch on NBA more. There'll be some off-season stories for sure. Absolutely. There'll be some scandals, some trades, some signings. But for now, the NBA playoff grind, the two months of playoffs, it ends with the Denver Nuggets winning their first ever championship. And the last thing I will say about this, Coca, if you will indulge me, the violence that took place in Denver yesterday, there was a mass shooting, nine people injured, several of them critically they're not sure whether it was part of the celebration. Was it an excuse to shoot because there was a celebration? Even 20 years ago, we had to have meetings with police in both Miami and Fort Lauderdale about what a celebration would be like if the Marlins clinched at home because we came back from New York tied at one. Had to have meetings because back then, two, three, two, three straight games in Florida, could have clinched it in Florida in five games. What it would look like. Is it just going to be pots and pans? Will there be violence? This has been going on for decades. The difference now, it's almost like people are interested in the championship, so they have an excuse to manifest their violent tendencies, which completely defeats the purpose of the cohesiveness and togetherness that you want when you're running a team and the pleasure that you want to give your fans, though it's not the most important thing, but you want to give your fans the pleasure of a championship, the pleasure of a memory that they can make with their family, with their friends. And it's going to get to the point where people would rather stay inside than be out celebrating on mass. They'd rather stay inside than risk danger. Why is it that people 
toting guns, screw it up for everyone. It was a terrible way for Denver to manifest its championship by having that as a headline. All right, a little bit west and north of Denver. We've got a pretty big story happening today, and I think you're going to like it. And one of you was specific about that. You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Normally what I say now is get into my DMs on Twitter, ask me a question, and if I like it, I'll answer it. But here's the question today. Not sure if you see this question, but Twitter DMs will only work if you follow me back unless I am verified. And David, comma, how is the Oakland front office preparing for tonight's reverse boycott? Well, that's two questions, but I'm gonna answer both. I don't know if you've heard, but Twitter was purchased by a private individual named Elon Musk. That may be news that you're not familiar with, or maybe you are. (laughs) Is that the biggest piece of news? Is that the type of news that even if you don't use Twitter and you're not interested in politics, is there anyone on earth who doesn't know that Elon Musk owns Twitter? Maybe I'll say in the States. I guess there are. There are people who simply don't give a crap, right? So Musk has been trying to figure out how to make this $44 billion purchase work, and it's not. It's absolutely bleeding money. It's a total disaster, yet the addiction is real. Absolutely. The changes that have been made, I can't find people on my timeline. I don't know who to follow when it happens. Now the rule comes out that you can only DM somebody if they follow you. That is Elon Musk's way of getting people to be verified. You've gotta be verified and be followed back. So the problem is that I get so many questions from you through DM and I try to read as many of my DMs as can and answer as many as I can. And it's total anxiety producing because I can't and I've talked about that. So in one way I'm relieved, but another way I'm despondent because once in a while there is a nugget of greatness that comes through my DMs or somebody reaches out who I hadn't spoken to in a long time who I know, or I get a random question from someone who I don't know that I wanna use in the show. And now what? The only way around it, because I'm not gonna follow everybody back. I'm just not. Although maybe it doesn't even matter how many people I follow back because I don't see anything in the timeline anyway. But you can just go on regular Twitter and do the ambersand David P. Sampson and then hope I see it that way. Because if you go at David P. Sampson, I think it goes just to me, Coca. If you do period at David P. Sampson, then it's just a regular tweet where I may not see it. So it's all very strange to me. Coca is saying that that's not accurate. That's not true. All right, so the answer is, I don't really know how Twitter works, but that said, I still wanna get your questions. So you can try to get into Instagram and follow me there, or you can go to Apple and you can rate and review or wherever reviews are done where if you're listening to the podcast. I don't monitor YouTube actually, we are live on YouTube every day at 8 a.m., but I still want your questions and movie recommendations. But let's get to this one, because tonight is a night. In addition to the Stanley Cup game five, there's something going on in baseball. All of the owners right now are in New York including John Fisher, the owner of the Oakland A's. That's not accurate. 
I'm sorry. Correction. I don't remember the last owners meeting other than when a commissioner is being elected that all 30 principal owners actually go to an owners meeting. There's always one or two missing. Arden Moreno blows them off. Jordan Steinbrenner, when he was alive, blew off owners meetings all the time. Owners have their trips during the summer if they're in Europe on a yacht or whatever they're doing. But the overwhelming majority of owners are in New York for an owner's meeting, where today is the first day where Rob Manford told you that he was hoping to have a vote on the relocation of the Oakland A's to Las Vegas. Here we are on June 13th. There's only one thing I can promise you that will not happen at the owner's meetings. I mean, they may break out into side chats, side meetings. There could even be a brawl amongst owners. Never seen that, but that is more likely to happen than a vote on relocation. The Oakland A's do not have money to relocate. They don't have a stadium deal in Vegas. They do not have the public money in Vegas. They have nothing done. As a matter of fact, the special session going on in Nevada is still going on. Unprecedented number of days at 250K per day trying to get their bill passed to get public financing. Nada, zero, nothing. No vote yet because the vote would be a negative. So they're delaying it and hoping and praying. Eventually, someone's gonna stand up and say, Gnug, this special session's over. We're gaveling it. We're not doing it. But the A's and the lobbyists and MLB, they're trying to get this public money going. Did you notice on a side note, several side notes today, Coca, the Vegas or Nevada Department of Transportation, part of public infrastructure is you've got to make sure there's enough power. You've got to make sure that the, the utility company, the airport, that everybody is aware of what's happening on the site in Tropicana where they're supposed to build this tiny stadium that won't fit no matter what on nine acres, total ridiculous hogwash renderings that don't matter. But you need sign off from various people as you are figuring out whether or not you need to make roads wider, whether you need to add highway exits. All of that is money that is public money that goes into a new stadium deal. Even when the building is built with private funds, the public infrastructure that is done is paid for by the public. There's no team that ever covers that. And what the team does is they commission studies and they try to show the public, hey, we're gonna need a better exit. We did that off the 836. We're gonna need a better exit to get to Marlins Park. We're gonna need to figure out how to work the drawbridge. All of these things cost money. We're gonna need to get water and utilities into the site. We need to have backup substations. That's a thing. You need to pay to wire that stadium so it's run by more than one substation in case of power outage. We would say you can't let the lights go out. You gotta play. In Nevada, they came out with a statement saying, we cannot evaluate what the cost will be of this bill of building a stadium because we don't even know where the stadium's gonna be built. There's a little nugget. I'm gonna use that word as often as possible today. A little nugget of a realization that the stadium financing bill that has not even been voted on is not site specific. Crazy. And that's not even what our story is today. 
while John Fisher is in New York at an owner's meeting where there will be no vote, but a lot of chatter behind his back and a lot of meeting side meetings with baseball and the commissioner before the commissioner gives his update to the owners. And then before the commissioner meets the media at the conclusion of the meetings where Rob Manford will have to meet the media and will have to address the ACE situation and will have to have talking points specific talking points given to him by Pat and Glenn, where he will have to take the microphone and say, of course, we are disappointed at the length of time it has taken, but we are confident that by the end of the year, the Oakland A's will have a new stadium. They will have a new stadium plan and it will be financed and we will be able to move on to other business. This has been a long, arduous process, but if Rob is smart and he's got good advisors, He's gonna back off from blaming fans in Oakland, back off from saying the team is definitely moving to Vegas and look for that if you are a fan of the Oakland A's and want the team to stay in Oakland, look for a subtle change in how Rob meets the media. We'll talk about it as soon as he does meet the media at the end of these meetings. But meanwhile, while these meetings are going on, there's something happening tonight in Oakland that is mortifying for baseball. It is called a reverse boycott. Tonight is a night where fans of the Oakland A's have started like a crowdsourcing, a GoFundMe, getting people to go to the game against the Rays to show Rob Manford and John Fisher that the issue is not the fans in Oakland, the issue is the owner in Oakland. They are getting thousands of people to buy t-shirts that say sell, sell Mortimer, sell thinking that that will in any way convince John Fisher to sell. It won't. The reason why MLB is embarrassed by this, they're not embarrassed when people buy, sell Wilpons. People bought a plane and a banner that would fly over Shea Stadium. Never embarrassed baseball or friend Jeff. Sell, having Loria sell, that never embarrassed me either. No problem. John Fisher's not embarrassed by this at all. But MLB, when they meet inside their offices, they are. And the reason they are is they don't want this to be the focus. They would much rather owners get these financing deals done, have as little public discourse as possible, and then move on to the next stadium issue. Because there's always a stadium issue. So therefore, there's always an owner who's under pressure. There's always an owner who's under scrutiny because there's always an owner going for a new stadium. So tonight, these fans got themselves together and they are going to come into the stadium with their shirts and the A's front office in consultation with their operations department, in consultation with MLB, they've met and they've made the decision. They're allowing it because they're sold tickets. They can't tell people not to wear a shirt that says sell. There's not one thing they can do, but make sure they're properly staffed in concessions, make sure enough sections are open because from the A's standpoint, they look at tonight's game and say, wow, we've been drawing 5,000 people a game for our Tuesday games. Tonight, we're gonna get 15,000 people. Hell yeah, it's like three different Tuesdays. That to me is what the front office is doing. The front office is preparing just for a game with more attendance. That's it. There's nothing else to talk about here. We're gonna watch it tonight. I think when they did the reverse boycott and did this giveaway, they didn't think that the A's would be the hottest team in baseball, which they are. 
The A's have won six games in a row. The A's are 18 and 50. The Royals are 18 and 48. And no one's talking about the Royals as tanking, as having the worst owners in sports, as being a disgrace, as being a revenue-sharing succor. No one said a word about that. There is regression, folks. Teams don't lose 140 games. They just don't. Wait to see when we tell you something's going to happen. When it happens, great. When it doesn't happen, fine. We'll tell you about it. We told you about the May 16th, 2023, when we said Jokic would win the finals MVP, and he did. We told you before the NBA finals started on June 1st of 23, that the Nuggets would win in five. They did. That wait to see came true. Let me give you today's wait to see. This reverse boycott is great. I give all the credit to the fans for doing it. It doesn't add up to much other than some revenue for the A's. But the A's attendance will still be under 20,000, which is still a miraculous number for having a season ticket base that is so low, which the A's have. You can always tell how low a season ticket base is. When the Marlins played the Royals once last week, their attendance was like 7,300, I think. That means that uh, their season ticket base is below that and likely thousands below that. My guess is the Marlins don't have more than 5,000 season ticket holders or full season equivalents. The A's, my guess, have fewer than 2,000 full season tickets. So that means you had 18,000 people buy individual or group tickets to a specific game, and that's pretty cool. But wait to see. The A's attendance will be under 20,000 tonight. We'll talk about it tomorrow, and we'll see what happens. All right, we come back. We're going to review a movie that one of you told me to see on Twitter. And then we're going to talk about what it means as a scout in baseball to want to draft a player and then watch that player have his arm used to the max as a college pitcher. Because it happened here in the College World Series. And we're going to talk about it when we come back. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. 
It's David Sampson. Thanks for being with us live every day, 8 a.m. Matthew Coca and I are here to entertain, inform, and we appreciate your loyalty more than you know. I cannot believe that I missed a Ben Stiller movie because I thought every time he does a movie, I watch it. He's one of those actors, and there are many of them, where when they've got a new movie, I'm going to watch it. One of you said, have you seen Brad Status? And I had not. Brad Status is a movie that came out, I don't know, four or five years ago. And it stars Ben Stiller and Austin Abrams and Jenna Fisher. And it's a movie that also has Owen, uh, Luke Wilson and uh, Michael Sheen. It's about a father and a son who take a trip to look at colleges. But Ben Stiller is the father. And there's something about Ben Stiller that's very Walter Mitty-like, which is one of my favorite movies, where he doesn't necessarily see what is there to be seen. He has his own interpretation of reality. He has his own issues about his life, his midlife crisis, whether or not he is having the life that he should have had, whether or not he could be more, should be more. This is a golden nugget of a movie that I missed. It is subtle, it is introspective, it makes you take stock in your life, in your moment. The young man, Austin Abrams, absolutely can share a screen with Ben Stiller as a father's son. It is touching watching them visit schools. The dream of having a child go to Harvard, I don't know why you dream that versus Yale, but the dream and what it is when a father and son have a different dream or the same dream or jealousy that a father could have when a son does something. I'm uniquely interested in that concept as I saw it all the time in sports where fathers are living the, their, through their sons. It's horrific. Trust me, it doesn't work well. It doesn't end well. The movie Brad Status is about what Brad Status is currently. Please watch it, I promise you. You will enjoy it. It is, one more time, a nugget. All right, let's talk about Quinn Matthews. If you haven't heard of him, no problem. Don't fast forward. Don't put me on 2X. You could put me on half X for this. Quinn Matthews pitches for Stanford. I learned early on to listen to scouts. I wish I had learned more. One simple rule, don't draft pitchers from Stanford because they look like they're great and then they suck as big leaguers. I was told that when we drafted Justin Wayne out of Stanford with the fifth pick in the first draft I ever did in 2000. Don't do it. God, I got that wrong. Of course I shouldn't have done it. Justin Wayne is just the first of many Stanford pitchers who don't make it in the big leagues. Mark Appel being the biggest example, the number one overall pick from Stanford. There's something about Stanford pitchers, can't explain it. They perform well at Stanford, they get to the big leagues if they even get there, and they're not who they were supposed to be. It's a real thing. So here we have Quinn Matthews, a Stanford pitcher. He's pitching his team, trying to get them to Omaha, and he has a complete game throwing 156 pitches. And when I looked at that, I said, wow, that's amazing. I guess he doesn't want to be a big leaguer. I guess that he's so interested in helping his team that he is done because scouts are looking at that and it will impact his draft. It will impact how teams look at him. 
There is no pitcher who should be throwing 156 pitches. It shouldn't be lauded. It's abuse. It's costing that guy a chance. Why? He may not have been the top-ranked prospect, not even the top two-round prospect, maybe a fourth or fifth-round pitcher. But when you're looking at the type of money you pay, even in the fourth or fifth round, you're looking at where they're playing, what college they're at, what their career was like, what their arm situation is, what their arm history is, what their likelihood of injury is, what their likelihood of lack of performance is. And college coaches, frankly, my dear, they don't give a damn. Their goal is to try to get a World Series. That's it. Players get taken advantage of because they don't want to let their teammates down. They're kids. I do believe there should be pitch limits in college. The reason I believe it is because it is responsibility. Basically, college is like the minor leagues. You've got to be in control of the talent. If you have a player who signs off that they are not going to be a major leaguer, they're playing college just for the fun of it because it's something to do, I'm happy to have you throw until your arm falls off. But I want it signed. I want it in writing that that player knows that they're not going to be a big leaguer. But if you even have a chance to be a big leaguer, I want you to be protected against yourself and against college coaches. A complete game, 156 pitch outing. It's not reasonable. How do you deal with it? Do you know that when we draft players and there are players still playing, let's say they're still playing in college or they're still playing not in our organization, we then speak to the coach or speak to the team or speak to where they're playing and say, nope, here's what we're wanting. Here's the number of pitches he can throw. But when we're looking at a draft board and setting up a draft board and the draft is coming next, is coming next month, it's coming, I thought the draft was in June. It may be in July this year. I can't remember the, the day of the MLB draft. We're paying attention to all of these things that are happening. We have scouts who go to the College World Series. We'll look at bullpen arms and say, hey, can we draft anyone out of the World Series who we can bring up right now, put them right into the bullpen? Maybe they can help us this year. What level do we need help? The big league level. Your best chance during the draft to get big league help is getting someone out of college and putting them into your bullpen. It's the only chance. Position players aren't ready to be called up out of college. Starting pitchers aren't ready to start in the big leagues. Your best chance is bullpen. And when you've got a bullpen arm, you don't want to draft a player who's used that many bullets in that particular day. I found it to be an absolute, absolute mistake. I mean, listen, we can go through all the players who've been drafted out of Stanford. I mean, Cal Quantrill, fine. Jeremy Guthrie, fine. Anyone ever heard of Jeremy Bleich, Greg Reynolds, Mike Gosling, Jeff Austin? Not me. Maybe it's just me. Quinn Matthews, congratulations for what you did, but it's going to cost you. Though Stanford did move on. Did you see that play yesterday, uh, Coca? Stanford moved on because Texas dropped a ball, let a ball fall in between. It's like it got lost in the lights or something. The kids were despondent beyond repair. That was the agony, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. We had the Heat plus nine. Do you remember what we told you about yesterday's game? We actually said we're taking the Heat and the points, but the Nuggets are going to win. That's exactly what happened. 
Heat plus nine is a winner. We are 92 and 91. All right, couple things of note tonight. Let's start in baseball, where there is a Subway series going on during an owner's meeting in New York. I don't ever recall that happening, where the Yankees and Mets are playing each other, both home with one of the meetings here in the city. But that's what's happening. You got Max Scherzer going against Luis Severino. This is an important series. And I, I guess I'm the boy who cried wolf a little bit. Because each series, as the season gets later, I can find you a storyline and I could give you a reason on CBS Sports HQ or on the network. I can do this every day. No problem. Here's the problem starters. Here's why this series matters. And here's who needs to do what. What happens in a series when both teams have to win two out of three? Coca, I'm not prepared. Excuse me. I don't want to stop the show. We're live. But are the Yankees and Mets playing a three-game series or a four-game series? Today is Tuesday. I would assume they're playing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday only because there's no series that goes Tuesday to Friday. Though The schedule is pretty screwed up. I'm going to assume it's a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday series. Both teams need to win two out of three. Period. The Mets, I would say, oh, it's not. It's a two-game series. Thank you, Coca. It's one of those small little two-gamers. All right, let me rethink this. I'm sorry. I was up late watching the game. It's likely to be a split. You don't really want to go into a two-game series and say we've got a sweep because they call it a sweep. It's really a mini sweep when you win a two-game series. Well, either way, Scherzer are going for the Mets after Steve Cohn's little outburst of how He's not blowing it up and he runs a hedge fund. Go listen to yesterday's show. The Yankees are definitely concerned with where they are and their lack of offense with Aaron Judge hurt. They're concerned with their starting pitching. Everyone behind Cole has been a disaster. Severino's coming off a start that left a little to be desired. Scherzer's given 155. The Mets offense is so bad. I hate to do it, but Coca, we're going the Mets over the Yankees. This will end up being a split, a Subway Series split, I'm sure. And then tonight, we've got the Stanley Cup. I got to watch it. I got to put my ring on. It's going to be another celebration. Golden Knights over the Panthers. Not to take anything away from what the Panthers have done, getting to the Stanley Cup, just like the Heat. You'll have the Heat and Panthers both losing in five games, both saying their season was not a success. But guess what? It was a success. Getting to the Stanley Cup is an eight seed when you barely were making the playoffs, that's what the Heat did, running into a team. I wonder whether the A's, as I think about it, Coca, do you think the A's will have a special session going on while the Stanley Cup game is being played in Vegas, while they're sitting in Carson City, and then we'll get updates like we did when they were last debating the bill? Do you think that's gonna happen? That would be awesome. I can't do an official way to see because I don't want to bother thinking about it. But the game starts at 5 p.m. in Vegas. I will tell you now that the special session will be in recess, if not gaveled out, by tonight at 5 p.m. And Vegas could end up, can you imagine the celebration in Vegas if Vegas clinches at home? That would be something. The police are ready because it's going to happen. The Vegas Golden Knights are going to win their first ever Stanley Cup. Vegas will get its first ever championship as a city in professional sports. What a moment. Maybe the Oakland A's are looking at that and saying, look, 
That's why you need more teams. Look at how great this is. Oh no, they're burning down the strip. They're burning down all the stuff they're building for F1. Holy Christ, no more teams. We got a lot to watch tonight. I am taking the Knights over the Panthers. Yesterday, there was a, uh, a moment during the show when I told you to please read The Athletic, subscribe to The Athletic. Great writers. We talked about Jason Stark, Ken Rosenthal. I was not aware at that time that news was going to come out later yesterday that The Athletic was going through a series of cuts. They cut 4% of their staff yesterday. Veteran writers, great writers. The Athletic was bought by the New York Times. The Athletic, it used to be known up until yesterday, they covered locally all these teams. They would have writers working for The Athletic, giving you in-depth analysis and coverage of teams in all the sports. What The Athletic decided is that they wanted to focus on sports and on stories because they found that the bigger stories from the bigger teams got the most attention, the most clicks, the most opportunity to gain subscription revenue. And they found that even when they were increasing their subscribers, they were still losing money because they had so many people working in so many places, writing stories about teams that in theory, people didn't care about. That's what happened. So they cut 4% of their staff. They were on Twitter saying that they're available, that they had a great run. Every time there is a layoff like this and you saw it at ESPN, you're seeing it at The Athletic. The reason for these layoffs is that when you have a corporate identity and a plan and then the plan doesn't work you only get so much time to make the plan happen and at some point you have to acknowledge that what you are trying to do is not working financially and the athletic and the new york times got to that point I'm sorry for that, but that is the reality of business. Congratulations again. I really wanted to end with you. I could have gone right to Coca. It's just business, right? This is nothing personal. That would have been it. That would have been the perfect ending. I always screw up the ending. At the end of these shows, Coca and I talk about the show, talk about what I did wrong. That's all Coca tells me. He doesn't tell me anything goes right. And I had the ending and he said, you didn't stick the landing. Congratulations again to the Denver Nuggets, the NBA champions. Make sure you watch the Stanley Cup tonight, please. At the end of the day, whether the Panthers win or lose, I don't like that ending. I can't say for the South Florida. For South Florida, at the end of the day, it's just business. Nah, it's just business for the Athletic and for the New York Times. It's just business for the Oakland A's and the owners. It's just governance for the people in the assembly and Senate in Vegas. There's a lot going on. Do we have more time? Oh no, you're cutting off the mic. That's it? It's just business. This is nothing personal. See you. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.